0: Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's talk for two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey.
1: Thank you, Gary. And as always, thank you to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Find fantastic podcasts at tangentboundnetwork.com. And all your entertainment needs are at axtel.com. Welcome, everybody, to day two of Classic Country Week. Today, we hit on 2 subgenres of country music. First up, we welcome country pop crossover Gary Morris, and later on, I sit down with Doug Kershaw, a pioneer in Cajun music. But right now, let me tell you a little bit more about Gary Morris. Morris is an ACM and CMA award winner, and one of the founders of the countrypolitan genre that crossed country music ballads with pop arrangers with pop arrangements. Arrangements, it's such a hard word. As such, one of Mr. Morris's most recognizable songs is his rendition of The Wind Beneath My Wings, which found its way to number four on the Billboard country charts. One of the most interesting aspects of Morris's career, and something we kind of zero in on in our interview, has been his foray into operas and musical theater. He performed with Linda Ronstadt in a star-studded production of La Boheme, Morris then tackled Broadway as Jean Valjean in the 1987 revival of Les Mis. I'm not even going to try to say the other word. <laughs> he was the first American to play the role. Les Miserables. Les Miserables. There, Les Mis. Les Rab. There, I got it. A few, a few years later, Morse returned to Les Mis, we'll stick with that, to lend his voice to the complete symphonic recording, which went on to win Best Musical Show Cast Album Grammy in 19. 19- Ninety-one. That's right, a country music artist is in the same Grammy category as the cast of Hamilton. Wrap your brain around that, millennials! Now, Morris continues to tour, bringing his classic style of country music to audiences all over North America. I'm getting so beside myself and so excited I'm tripping up over my words. Audiences, he, say, he says, are more receptive to his style than ever before. Here now to tell us how he found his beautiful singing voice without any training... Our interview with Gary Morris. Gary Morris, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm out here in beautiful Colorado. It's a gr- beautiful day. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, we got a lot to talk about. First thing I want to ask you, because I don't know this for sure. I don't know. Uh, I was reading a little bit about you, but I didn't I didn't see this. Are you classically trained as an opera singer? Because your Les Mis stuff is just beautiful. I want to get that well, out of the way.
2: <laughs> well, let's dispel that notion. I've never had a music lesson. Okay, really? I, I learned to sing in a Southern Baptist church, and I've done two operas. I did La Boheme with Linda Ronstadt in New York, and then I did uh, Les Mis. Uh, played Valjean on Broadway, but so those are the only two operas I've ever seen, and I was in them both.
1: That's crazy. How do you, as someone who didn't have a musical lesson, how did that? How did your voice handle it? How did you train your voice? To handle those those roles,
0: uh, they they were
2: actually both right in my wheelhouse for singing, um, and I, it was no special training for it. <clears throat> you know, I was an athlete, and a football player, and basketball and baseball, all that stuff, and uh, I guess uh, maybe physically a little more ready for that kind of challenge than you know if I'd have grown up. Just as a singer, and uh, uh, the the roles were uh, beautifully written, and uh, of course they were in English, and uh, I just had to worry about you know not breaking into a yodel every now and then, and I thought I'd get through it just fine.
1: (laughs) Well, it's it is such a different style from from country music, but also not too far off of what you would imagine what your voice doing especially hearing songs like wind beneath my wings and some of your other ballads you could i can hear i can hear parts of that uh, i can hear parts of your acting the lame is the operas uh in in your pop and country stuff as well so uh what drew you to the format of, of these of these operas over all of the pop and country stuff that that you are known for
2: well the first one doing um Lobo in with Linda Ronstadt. I was on Warner Brothers records and Warner Brothers out of LA really was pushing hard for me to go sing for them. They thought it might be a good opportunity for me to do something with Linda Ronstadt. Linda being such a big star and uh, me being such a big fan of hers. And I really fought the notion of going up there. By Wind Beneath My Wings was nominated for Song of the Year and so was the love she found in me. Both of them, um, my songs and they both were in the top five, and I thought, maybe this might not be a smart thing to do, but they really pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally I went up and sang in New York for for uh, the producers of the show, and about, you know, three or four days later, they called and said, congratulations, I'm Rodolfo, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, I didn't even know who Rodolfo was. I didn't know much about Puccini, and I didn't know anything about La Boheme, but I have learned the song and sang it. So then I did kind of a quick study and went up and did the role and it was fun and I got the last bow every night and it was uh, I mean it was a, it was a great experience for me it was just a stretch out of what I was used to doing uh, I came to Nashville as a singer songwriter and got my record deal based on being a singer songwriter and now I'm doing an opera with Linda Ronstadt now and the next one Les Mis at the time I went up to New York I, that was by kind of by choice um yeah Randy Travis was on Warner Brothers Dwight Yoakum and um mm-hmm. Hank Jr and all these guys and it, it was moving to uh, the format was moving to kind of a traditional sound and I thought well you know I'll just take a little diversion for 6 months and go go do something else and then go back and tour and and I went and sang for them in New York, and they, they gave me the lead role. I was the first American to play Valjean on Broadway. And um, I did it for six months, and and, uh, and it was great fun, too. It was way different. Something, uh, you know, stretched me in another direction. And uh, and then I, I came back, and grabbed my band, and went on the road and did my music.
1: Did you end up missing it while you were on Broadway? Did it get redundant? Cause I know that when you perform, it's never the same show. You know, twice usually. You you you're interacting with the audience and whatever theater. You can't break that fourth wall. Did it did it get redundant? Did you start to miss the touring uh, in those six months, or or what, were you just immersed in the new experience?
2: No, yeah, no,
1: no. It it never got
2: redundant. And and really, the key, which you you just brought that point up, and a lot of people in the audience never know that. There's so many inside little pranks going on and inside stories between characters, and I, I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a spot in in Les Mis where Valjean, my character, picks up Mar- Marius, uh, uh, a young a young Turk who was uh, in, in love with uh, uh, my kind of adopted daughter. I'm carrying him, and I, I open up a grate and crawl down into it. Well, I remember one night there was a girl in the from the chorus that was laying i'm stepping down into a platform that goes under the stage and she was laying on the platform when I opened the grate and flashed me <laughs> and i got you know I got shot by water guns and I mean all kinds of things that the audience just doesn't know about that Kind of keep it alive, and uh, it's such a wonderful story. It was never, it really never became just a matter of going up and doing chime on stage.
1: That's really really cool. Now, how did it feel when you got back to your band? Was it was it weird? Was it or did it was it like riding a bike and getting back on a bike? And
2: when you toured again? Oh, yeah, it's very much like that. Um, it, you know, there's there was kind of a, a notion: is there life after Les Mis? for the actors and performers in New York but you know my I didn't that wasn't my life that was that was a a great diversion and it was a great honor actually to play the role it's a fabulous role and I later uh redid the role for their international cast album the Mm -hmm. complete symphonic version of it and that was all fun and
1: won a Grammy platinum selling absolutely
2: that's... Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but getting back to my music, the only drawback was uh, immediately uh, that the country radio. I think they took kind of as a whole, they looked at me like I was a deserter that I went and did something else that I wasn't allowed to do, and it's I had kind of a well, uh, I I went with I think I don't remember what the number was, maybe twenty top tens, five number ones in a row to never, ever getting a new song played on country radio. So I was uh, officially not part of the gang, as you say, and uh, and that's what, after about three records after doing lame is, I said, well, okay, I'll do something else. And I, I uh, produced and hosted a TV show called The North American Sportsman, where I went and hunted and fished all over the world and yep. took other actors, yep. music people, yeah, it was tough.
1: <laughs> I bet it was fun, though. I bet there's nothing like doing something like that. That that had to be crazy.
2: Uh, it was a great time. I'm I'm an avid outdoor person. Have been my whole life, and I really got to go hunt and fish, and see. I mean, from I mean, from Russia to to the British Isles, to Africa, to South America, Northwest Territories, Alaska, Yukon, and then all over you know the continental United States, and. Uh, so I hunted in the best places and fished the best rivers, and yeah, it was it was great fun. Um, and it wasn't though until Matt, until you know, I was watching, and I think it was a CMA or it might have been an ACM show. It was probably four or five years ago, and I went, "Whoa, what is this? What's going on now?"
0: Yep.
1: The radio uh,
2: that I decided I think I might just kind of step out there and. Uh, make a record, make another record, see if there's a case for uh, actually a song that has a lyric and a melody, and it's not about you know grabbing your crotch and dancing around and and you know rap or anything like that. And and started going out, and my phone pretty much rings daily. And uh, my assistant, you know, I get calls, and I'm now playing performing art centers and. Really nice, big, old, redecorated opera halls and theaters. Uh, going out solo with a two or three guitars, different tunings, and doing my music. And it's just kind of the most fun I've ever had doing music.
1: That is wonderful. It's really. I'm 23 years old. I should like the new guard of country music, but I tend towards your your kind of style because I like to feel. I like to listen to music that makes me feel. That that tells a story. Has a lyric. Has a melody all that stuff you just mentioned and uh, I'm an old soul when it comes to it and I think a lot of uh, a lot of people are and they and they just won't admit it but they'll admit it in the in the ticket sales you know and that's yeah yeah. so it's Well
2: I don't buy, you know I, I I wish everybody that ventures into the music business to have a big career and a, and a good life I mean it's it's uh it's a tough business and recognizing uh, your audience I mean, you know, we have, uh, you're 23, we have some generations of uh, of young people your age up to maybe even 35 or whatever that have grown up with a different kind of um, acceptance of life and uh, view everything from uh, their work to politics uh, different from uh, an older generation and they have their music and I don't begrudge them at all. But I can't imagine someone listening to country radio today getting married and 30 years from then say, boy, do you remember our song, the song that we had that we fell in love to? You know, the one where you go down the river and you jump in and I grab your butt and then you shake around. Yeah. What was the name of that? Hoochie, coochie, whoochie baba. Yeah. You know, I just, it's a little different, you know. It is. So. And so I I don't begrudge you. My I have a son. My youngest son is uh, nineteen, and you know I'm, and he is immersed in, I, I think really some good quality pop music, pop artists that are maybe not quite as well known as, uh, as the movers and shakers. And then I have another son who was a mouseketeer with Justin Timberlake and Christina and Britney, and so. You know, I've been exposed to pretty much all of that music all along the way, and and I, I hope anyone who ventures out recognizes that there's a place for all of us that do music. It, it might be your local Holiday Inn or VFW or whatever, or it might be you know a big huge stage somewhere. And if you're doing it because you love what you do, rather than you want to be a star you're doing it for those reasons, I, I wish them
1: well. No, yeah, you're right. And it begs the question, I'll ask you this. Why country music for you? Why country? Why is that where you land? What about it?
0: Well,
2: I landed there because in the 80s, when, um, I, when I said I'm going to make records, I've been playing music my whole life, uh, <clears throat> my choice was to go to New York, which was too slick, mm-hmm. or go to L- L.A., which was hair bands. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my, I felt like my music was plain spoken, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I might have more chords in my song, and I might use twin guitars on it, but I thought the storyline was pretty plain, and I grew up in Texas, and I, I had kind of a natural inclination to to certain, you know, topics for records and songs, and and so I, I packed up and I went to Nashville. That's where they did it, and I was lucky enough to... Signed with a major label, they're pretty quick, and, uh, and 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 I don't begrudge any of them. It was like it was it, it was a cool thing to be able to do, and I I went from a totally unknown to somebody that has really uh, I'm finding out a lot more fans than I ever believed.
1: Well, that's the power of social media too. I think with the yeah. internet, we're more connected and, and we know more, and we're able to indulge in our interests and, and have that relationship with fans and and with our music that we love and i think uh... i think a lot of people are finding you, you're certainly not alone in that so it's it's really wonderful yeah. now is your tour coming up east at all pennsylvania new york we'd love to we'd love to have you up here in our region you know
2: i i think i have a day i'm i'm not i'm not i'm not looking at a calendar i think i'm going up to uh... i am there in pennsylvania somewhere uh... Nothing, nothing on the northeast. I think there's there's uh, maybe a North Carolina, South Carolina, it might be a Virginia date, uh, but nothing that far up. If I guess, guess I want to come back and play New York City somewhere. Uh, you know, the last time I was I played there was as Valjean. So yeah. back in and do my own thing would be really cool. And that's probably just a matter of. Uh, the scheduling, so. Yeah,
1: it's surprising. I'm sure you know this, but New York is really one of the biggest markets for your type of music, country music. We had Don McLean here sold out. We have had Garth did two nights at Yankee Stadium. Cole Swindell sold out Terminal 5. Country artists really do well in, in New York, so we'd love to have you, and uh, I wish you all the best. I know you got another interview, and you're doing a, a lot of press today, so we got to let you hop off, but thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this. You bet, Matt. Do the anytime you want. Gary, thank you so much. It was a real thrill getting to chat with you. I hope all of our listeners get out to see you on the road, or if not, you can find, I'm sure, on iTunes, the complete symphonic recording of Les Mis. And now we move on to somebody that I am... I love country music. I love streamlined country music, but sometimes I really, I diverge into really, really weird subgenres or sort of weird to people that don't know about it, uh, of country music. I grew up listening to a, this, uh, one song that this next gentleman did a cover of it. I didn't hear his version until I was much older, but I am a huge, huge fan of Doug Kershaw, a legend in Cajun music. Hi! Sorry, I have to do it. That's this, like a Cajun call for those of you that think I just like had a seizure or something. So much so, uh, he is such a legend, actually, that his work has influenced many of the country music icons that we've had on the show, like Charlie Daniels, who will actually be back with us this week. Kershaw is known as the Raging Cajun for his unique and energetic style of fiddle playing, and I gotta tell you, he is a real, real character. I guarantee you've heard some of his hit songs, even if you're not into the Cajun subset of country music. Like I said, I encountered it listening to Mickey Gilly and some of the live stuff that Gilly would do. He'd cover the, he'd cover Doug Kershaw. Now you've heard it because it's crossed over. I'm speaking of Diggy Diggy Low and Louisiana Man specifically. Look those songs up on YouTube or iTunes and you'll you'll recognize them. Doug Kershaw began his career with his brother and in fact recorded original versions of those songs with Rusty as his brother's name. But Doug branched out on his own when Rusty realized his heart wasn't in it. Ever since then Doug has had this great success and as he tells me has been able to provide for his family by bringing Cajun music to fans all over the world. He's now 81 and says he doesn't feel his age. Plus, he is working on a brand new record with his son, who's also his live drummer. Here now to tell us why he's proud to be a Cajun, our interview with Doug Kershaw. Doug Kershaw, the Louisiana man himself, welcome to the show. How are you, sir?
3: Well, I am fantastic, Matt, and thank you for calling
1: Oh well thank you for doing this. Uh you're the Lou, Louisiana man, but you you're uh, you're not in Louisiana and you you're not in Louisiana oh. anymore, are you, sir? You uh actually
3: <laughs> Yeah, I'm in Colorado, I've been here a long time.
1: You guys getting yeah. any any uh, snow today? We're out east here. We're we're terrible. Just
3: well, really? Yeah. No, we're we're not we're not bad. We're not bad today. But it's coming.
1: That's good. Ah, oh, well, stay warm. Let's begin at the beginning. How did you become interested in playing the fiddle?
3: Well, but that's uh, a <laughs> story in itself. I was five years old, and I had two older brothers, and they, and I was told not to play their fiddle,
0: mm-hmm. and they
3: they kept it on a ship road when they went out fishing with my dad, and I figured out how to get it down there, and one day I dropped it, and the fiddle cracked.
1: Oh no! My dad.
3: Yeah, my dad sat me down on the, uh, on the bed, and he said, okay, Doug. And he never spanked me. And oh. he, he had a razor stripe. He said, okay, if you can play me a song, I won't spank you. But, but if you if, you, if you can't, your butt's mine. <laughs> and I played I played three songs. One I had to learn, and two I made up right then. <laughs>
1: That's great, and you just stuck with it, huh?
3: <laughs> and from then on, I didn't have to ask to play that fiddle. And I started professionally at night. Old, you
1: know. Nine years old,
3: making, making a living with it.
1: Yes. Wow. Where where does a nine year old play fiddle? I'm sorry. Where does a nine year old play play professional fiddle? What what kinds of shows did you do?
3: Well, it was nightclubs. The, the first club I played was called the Bucket of Blood. Oh wow. In Lake Arthur, Louisiana. Oh
1: wow. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And then you started uh, you started playing with your brother too, right? Yes, I, I after we switched from
3: French music. You know, I kept converting, converting and writing English songs. Mm-hmm. And I was writing a song called No No, It's Not So. And he walked by the door singing harmony. I said, wow, that sounds great. So Rustin Doug was born that year, that day.
1: That's excellent. So you, were you fluent in French? Were you uh, fluent?
3: Oh, yeah. Oh. Cajun French, not educated, because they refused to allow us to speak it. Mm. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm still fluent in it
1: Oh, excellent Excellent, yes mm-hmm. it's. Uh, and you see that throughout your music I'm curious What makes Because Cajun music is often thought of As a subset of, of country music What What makes a, a particular type of music Cajun music For our listeners that may not know
3: That You mean that makes it real like country? Well, it's folk music You know, it's just homes mm-hmm. uh just the way we feel. Now, here's what, you know, uh, I'm just now letting people know how I managed to s- the success with Cajun culture. Mm-hmm. I took, I took, okay, going back to sh- the school, they wouldn't let us speak French. Mm-hmm. He couldn't take my music away from me. Right. So what I did, I took all that feeling and that the way we phrased everything about Cajun music and put it in the English language, like Louisiana Man.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. That's so excellent. the world caught it that way.
1: No, that that's really really smart. And I'm curious how you how you now stay with me on this question. This might be a little hard one to understand. But when people watch you play fiddle, and I hope people have watched the videos that are on YouTube and are are on, yeah. you you get this sense of energy that you know a lot of people that play fiddle they don't have. They just they just stand there and draw the bow across the Uh, across the strings, and and that's it. Where did you learn to to become a performer? I mean, uh, or was that just your personality?
3: Well, a lot of it is my personality, but it's developed over the years by trial and error. But uh, everything I did right, every song I wrote, every instrument I played, which is 28, everything was done so I could be a singer. Mm. And you can't sing... And play fiddle under your chin. So, I've always played. it. As I grew up, like I said, I started as a kid. As I grew up, that fiddle stayed down there.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
3: and, and it. When I realized that that was the gimmick, yeah, that people liked. I put it right in there and worked at it. exactly, excellent, but it, it's part of my body. <laughs> that fiddle, I don't ever. Well, I, you you can't think, I can't think about the fiddle when I'm singing. Oh, mm-hmm. I can't think about singing when I'm fiddling. You know, it just it just happens.
1: It does. And then the music kind of moves through you and you, you kind of oh, start dancing.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's why, I can't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That fiddle is a great instrument for me. For me. Yeah. You know, there's not everybody that can uh, say that. Well, it used to be a hillbilly instrument. Ain't no
1: more. No, no, it's not. It is not. And I mean, now you got to play the standard. I got to say, I love your version of Orange Blossom special. It's, uh, <sighs> cause you. it looks like you're just getting a workout right there. <laughs> well, yeah. well I, yeah.
3: You know, I made it my own. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it just, a whole lot of what I do is, yeah, it's, it's the show, but the people, they kind of dictate to me what they like and don't like.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, I love my fans, my audiences. My audiences, you know? Yeah. I work on that and uh, a whole lot of that is that energy, it comes back and forth to the people. Mm-hmm. But on television there's no energy coming back. So I just have to send it out. Yeah. And look at that camera <laughs> sometimes.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, you've said before you play the hits. You, you still play live and you play Louisiana Man, you play Diggy League Low, uh, you do oh, yeah. everything. And you don't mind? I mean, for the millionth time, you don't mind playing those hits?
3: Absolutely, live because I made myself, I, I promised myself when I started my solo career, I'd open my live shows with Diggy Diggy Low mm-hmm. and close it with Louisiana Man. Everything in the middle is different, and you know, it's new songs, old songs, but that's what I do. Yeah, and no, I do not get tired of it.
1: Now I want to talk about Diggy Diggy Low, because mm-hmm. you just you just did something. Now this is probably going to be the dumbest question you've ever been asked. I, I okay, but what is the name of that song? Because it gets cre- credited as Diggy Liggy, and then I swear you sing it with two D's, Diggy Diggy. And I, I'm I changed
3: it to Diggy Diggy.
1: Oh, cool. Because
3: diggy, I leave the word Liggy. I hate it. But, <laughs> You see, the law and the law in French. Law is masculine, law is feminine. Yeah. And it's diggy-diggy la and diggy-diggy law.
1: Yeah, and that well, sounds better. It sounds
3: no, but I didn't like the liggy. I would just look at Rusty and Doug's version as diggy-liggy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, let's talk about Rusty and Doug. What was that like getting to perform with your brother, and how did you then branch out and, and go on by yourself?
3: Well, you know after I got out of the army, I wrote through and, and we started getting these big hits. Mm-hmm. And I and I realized that you can a person can't make another person follow you, their dreams, you know. Yeah. And he, he was not into that. He just wanted to play guitar. He didn't want to work. And I don't blame him. It wasn't his dream; it was mine. <laughs> yeah. You know. So I decided, when well, you know, I I can't work this way because I have a dream, and yeah. I wanted to succeed. Believe me, I was scared to death. But it just all kind of came together. It when I yeah. it it, all came together as a solo artist. And then I was able to help Rusty and Doug, you know, Rusty, my brother, everybody.
1: Yeah, that's 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 incredible. And I am curious then off of that. Let's talk about Louisiana Man. You wrote it, and I think I heard in another interview it's kind of like a tribute to your father, almost, right? What oh, was...
3: sure. You know, all, all I heard was bad things about my dad. How he drank a lot, and you know, heck, we never went hungry. We always had a houseboat to live in. But I wanted to, I, my memories of him because he he killed himself when I was seven, mm. seven years old. So all these memories are from before and. I wanted to praise the way he made a living. And that's what I did. And it is incredible how many people identify with making a
1: living. Yeah.
3: You know, you, you do know that's the first song ever broadcast from the moon transmitted back to Earth, don't
1: you? Oh, I, I didn't know that. I, I, I know a lot about that song, but that's, wow. 1969
3: wow. with Pete Conrad. Incredible. Yeah, incredible.
1: That's that's awesome. I then off of that, because it was gonna be my next question anyway, we, we talked earlier a few minutes ago about what makes music Cajun and since it was so regional, the kind of music that you that you yeah. write, were you surprised at the at that crossover success that happened for you and, and how big it became?
3: Well, <laughs> Not really. When I decided, you know, the, the reason I went to the English music and writing mm-hmm. is because we couldn't play any, 60 miles from Jennings, from where we live.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I I don't know. I've always known what I wanted. I didn't know how to get it. But I, went, I had to go out and work. But when I decided to take my culture with me, because I, I as a single artist, I could have chose to be a rock and roller. I could have been country, blues, whatever, but I chose my culture, and all of a sudden, it covered all all of the uh, labels, you know?
0: Mm
3: -hmm. It's just wonderful, because I'm not, they can't label me as country, or they can't label me rock and roll, but, and here I am, I'm starting to do some rockabilly shows. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's just wonderful, wonderful. And when I take my language, my culture with me, it also helped the Cajun people. Yeah. My biggest pain, my biggest reward is going home. People just say thank you, Doug, you know, for making me proud of being a Cajun. That's... Cause that, that was difficult. You know, I, I was ashamed to be being Cajun. Why? Well, uh, well, I'll tell you a little story I, about eight years old, I, I decided to go shine shoes in, in Lake Arthur in town. Yeah. Two little black boys that chased me out. One day, I brought my fiddle with me and I started playing before sun came up. Uh, and when the sun came up, there was a whole bunch of people, and I put my fiddle away. And they said, uh, "You know, uh, uh, keep playing." I said, "Well, I'll, I'll play you a song every time you let me shine your shoes for a dime." Ten dollars and twenty six, and and that same day, there was two little black boys. I, I saw the odd houses. They said colored, yeah, and white, and I asked them. I said, "Where do Cajuns go?" <laughs> oh no, oh yeah, well that, is... that's how you know. Uh, they never explained the culture to me in school. Never, I had to go out and learn about it. Yeah, and... that's a I'm sure I'm not the only culture that it's not truly explained in school, yeah. and that's unfortunate because, well, I made a success with it, but I was ashamed until I I come out of the army and rode Louisiana man, and that's because I was sitting in the barracks on the stairs fixing to come out of the army. I asked, thought to myself, what if I could have anything in the world? What would it be? And the first thing that comes to my mind was not to be ashamed of being a Cajun. I came out, man, never looked back.
1: And I think it is because of you now. I'm not a Cajun, but I I know a lot about country music. I know a lot about music and, and how cultures kind of intertwine. I think you are the reason Cajun is so accepted now at least the music is in country music, and you brought these kind of genres together. So I think not only yeah. does Cajun culture owe you a lot, I think music owes you a lot in, in general. But
3: it has, and my music was accepted because I accepted who I was. And very few people can do that, except who you are.
1: That is such a cool message. And I'm curious, you still... I mean, to talk to you, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell my listeners your age because it's incredible to do talk I, to you. You don't know. You're, you're 80 now, right? You're,
3: 81. I turned 81 in January. Oh,
1: well, happy belated birthday. How do you that's, stay so young at heart and what keeps you going on stage at, at 81?
3: That's, that's a mystery, I guess, but I, I never think age. I never have. I never look back, back so much. I just, I don't know. I, I've, been, I've been lucky. Yeah, fortunate, I should say, because I I, I can't even imagine what eighty-one should feel like.
1: No, how old do you feel? I'm sorry. How old do you feel?
3: Twenty-five, thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I did and walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But get you—I've seen some performances that you did last year and two years ago, and you're oh. still you're still moving. I mean, they're oh, on yeah. YouTube. You're still, you're still moving around and jumping around on stage, and absolutely, yeah, oh yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't perform if I couldn't please the people,
1: and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You do, you, know? you, you absolutely do. And so, my last question for you—we hit on everything so, so wonderfully here—is what is your? We always ask this of my guests here. What's your advice?
3: One more time. What was that?
1: Of course. I said, I always ask this of my of my guests. I said, uh, what is your advice to those that want to maybe learn to play the fiddle or or learn to play music like you do?
3: Don't be afraid of the instrument.
1: Don't be afraid of the instrument.
3: And they, they always ask me, how do you become a star? Well, my saying is, act like one. <laughs> I don't mean go tear up dressing rooms.
1: Uh, act like you're a star. You know, act like you're successful. Yeah. Act like you only
3: you know, People world. don't even know if you've got a dime in your pocket or not.
1: <laughs> yeah. You
3: know, act like it. And you, pretty soon it happens.
1: Wow. That is that is important advice. And and your career has just been incredible. Are you going to release? Are, are you any plans to go back into the studio and oh, release? Yeah,
3: absolutely. As a matter of fact, we're speaking to Rush King, Doug. My first album is going to be uh, with my son. We're going to sing Rushkin and Doug. Oh wow! But this rockabilly stuff—it's you know we were some of the first ones, and yeah. it's, it's happening everywhere. So why not? Mm-hmm. Why not?
1: Why not? Yeah, I want to do that. When when can we expect that? When are you guys going to start that process? And... Well, I, I'm going to start in April. Of oh, course, cool. start recording in, in April.
3: Uh, I'm going to uh, closely. Uh, the rockabilly weekend in Las Vegas or the Orleans uh, on the 16th of April. Can you believe that?
1: Oh, very Doug cool. Doug
3: Kershaw, yeah, <laughs> Doug Kershaw is doing that.
1: <laughs> rockabilly.
3: Well, it's rockabilly. Well, yeah, because I rock and I'm busy a lot. In my life.
1: <laughs> no, I love. I love it. I-, I love it, and I think. I think there'll always be a place for you, no matter how old you get, because you are young at heart and you are Doug Kershaw. You, I don't know if you know how much of a legend you are in music, and I mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm bowing down, but I mean, it's it's incredible that you're still out there and that you still do this and and that you still want to record. What is your What does your oh. son play? What is What does he play? Oh, my my son
3: Tyler is incredible. Matter of fact, you're on YouTube. You see the drummer and singer. He's my son Tyler, oh, wow. and uh, but he plays all kinds of instruments, and he loves my harmonies. And I just want to do it with family. I want to keep it in the family. That's the name of the album. I will keep it in the family. Oh. Doug and Tyler Kershaw keeping it in the family.
1: Oh, well, excellent. When that comes out, we got to have you back with, with Tyler to talk Absolutely. about that. That'll be,
3: Absolutely. That'll be fun. Absolutely. I've enjoyed this a lot.
1: Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you. You know, you talk about being blessed. I mean, I'm blessed. I find people that I like and love their careers, and to have the forum to get to talk to them uh, and to have them want to talk to me is, is incredible. So thank you so much. Yeah. This was
3: well, a real pleasure. You're quite joy. welcome. If there's anything else I can ever do for you, I'll wait you let me know.
1: I will. All right. Thank you. Doug Kershaw. <laughs> I love it. Mr. Doug Kershaw, you are welcome back. Whenever that album comes out, thank you so much for your time. That's it for us today. Thanks again to our season sponsors, AxTel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Stay tuned to TalkForTwo.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more from the number one performing arts podcast. Reach out by emailing TalkForTwoCast at gmail.com and talk about us on social media using hashtag talk for 2. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for 2. Here's a little Doug Kershaw to take it off.
0: They find romance where they do the cage and dance, steal a kiss with every chance and show their love. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at TalkForTwo.com.